We've been talking through this series about a quieted soul, of wanting to have a soul that is quieted. This is a soul that's contented in its place. Uh, you could think of a quieted soul as like an ancient way of saying uh, low anxiety or our sense of belonging and peace. Um, this is something that has mattered so much. And I do think a sense of belonging in our own life is something we almost forget as time goes on. Uh, if you don't know this, I went to school to be a therapist before being a pastor, and then I guess I figured I would be not very good at that, so I, I skipped over here. But one of the classes we took, we talked about Adlerian therapy. Anyone ever heard of Adlerian? So this, this Dr. Adler had this idea that one of the core components to mental health was belonging in society. So they'd work through several things, but every client needed to find a place to volunteer, belong to, be in, so that you could be contented and feel a sense of presence in your own life as to who you are. And I just think that as time has gone on, there's all these things we do to try to be at peace, and it's just weighing far over into lots of free time. I need a lot of free time. I need vacation. I need a break. I need that hammock in the backyard. But there's a sense of just belonging in life that's so critical and so important. And so as we've been talking through this unfrantic soul, I had a question for us to begin today off with. Is a soul stirred up, changed by what it wants? If you really, really want something, will what you want change the, the health of your soul? Just by how much you want it, how, what is it you're looking for? And to, to answer this question today, I want you to meet the dugong. That's a dugong. A dugong is sometimes called a sea cow or a sea elephant. And here's the amazing thing about a dugong largely considered the real-life inspiration for mermaids. Like sailors would, were at sea, and they saw that, and they would look at each other and be like, who is she? What's her name? What is she about? Does she like boats? And they, they saw these, and here's the thing. They didn't just mistake that for a human woman. They mistook it for a human woman of such incredible beauty that she was mythical, and they would leap into the ocean and die to get to it. That's some serious desire. That's a long time at sea. That, that, this is this, this thing of so driven crazy that they would leap in. And I wonder, like, did the other sailor next to him go, honestly, I, I'm not convinced that's a woman at all. I think you should stay in the boat. And what I find remarkable is they go back to shore after some guy jumps off and dies. And what's the story they tell? They don't go, look, we had three more weeks in the boat to try to think of the right way to say this, but we couldn't think of it. He thought a dugong was a woman, and he jumped in the water, and that's why your son is dead. No, no, no. They came back, and they said, there was a woman of such insurpassable beauty <laughs> that it drove him insane, and he leaped in the water. Like, they all saw it. Um, and they, they, one of the things that's also interesting is that uh, dugong, or not dugongs, excuse me, mermaids are famous for the siren song. A song so beautiful it drives sailors crazy and they leap into the water after them. Those things go, uh, so it comes up, uh, at the top and like, oh, I can't, I can't take it anymore. She's calling me. So youth, like obviously, youth is fleeting and beauty is vain. But under no circumstances would any of us in normal life mistake that for a human woman. Um, it's a sea elephant. Desire drove them mad, really drove them sick. The things we want when we want them bad enough and we go after them, <clears throat> especially if they're unhealthy things, they make the soul grow sick. 
What we want can leave us deranged in a shell of who we are. It's so important to identify how healthy is it the thing that I want? Is it healthy how much I want it? And so I want to talk about if the soul wants, uh, can it be curbed in its desires and can the soul be made intelligent, alive, seeing, quieted in peace? And so we want to talk about that today. Uh, today's message is called uh, What a Soul Wants. And every time I say it in my head, I go, what a soul wants, what a soul needs, whatever makes it happy and sets it free. And so we're bringing the 90s back today with what a soul wants. I want to start with, uh, we're going to read a little bit from the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to go to Matthew 6. We're going to read the teaching of Christ starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There's this amazing thing. It's like whether you believe in eternity or not, everybody wants to have a sense of personal purpose and belonging in life that could only be fulfilled in eternity. To be eternally important, it almost bothers us to think of what if you did become famous and everyone just forgets you. There are great athletes and teams that people thought would be immortal. There was a, the Celtics in the 1950s, incredible. You talk to a young person today, tell me one person on that team, they do not know. The sense of, of immortality and belonging importance that we want, it cannot be fulfilled in this world. The soul wants this great existence. What Christ is talking about is that that is not what this life is for. If you're expecting it from this life, you're expecting the wrong thing. That the treasures on earth, they, they erode, they go away, but there is a place to find that belonging. Life on this world is a season of planting of planting things that will matter, planting, planting uh, the, the relationships, the roles that we play with people, planting, bringing people into God's kingdom, whatever it is that we do, we plant things and some of them will pass on to eternity and some are going to wither and die. And eternity is a time of never-ending harvest. And we'll always be out of sync if we think that this is the whole life, this is the whole thing. We must understand what this life is or we'll be miserable in it. You're going to hate this life if you keep feeling disappointed because what you wanted from it is the thing it never could fulfill, never will fulfill, and, and there's this invitation to joy coming from Christ of understanding what this life is and its limitations. We need to see it as a planting season. I want to ask you this. Imagine that you're going to go on a vacation and you're told it's an, it's an aerial tour. We're going to get into a jet, and you're just going to fly around and look at stuff. And you go, great, that sounds actually kind of fun. So let's do it. So you pack your bag, and, and what goes into it? It's going to be things like sweatpants, maybe slide-on shoes, uh, light, comfortable shirt, iPad, earbuds, a way to charge your batteries when they die. You'd be getting ready to be in a plane. And then what if someone came up to you and said, um, actually, this isn't just an aerial tour. You're flying somewhere. The plane's going to land and everybody's going to get off. You're going to Iceland. So now you look at your bag and you think, wow, I packed for the wrong trip. I did not spend my time getting ready for this the way I should. The right thing to do would be to dump that bag out and to put things that matter. To, to go and get a nice big, huge coat to get your snow boots on because you're going to be out there in the wilderness and it's called Iceland for a reason. 
So you should be ready for that trip. The iPad's not going to be that important anymore. And honestly, who wants to go to Iceland and have earbuds in the whole time? You want to listen to it. So the things you pack, they don't really matter. And you got to switch out and get different things. It is a different trip than you expect it altogether. If you believe the report and you come to have complete faith that what I heard was true, and now I believe that it is going to land in Iceland, your whole vision of this whole trip and everything it is and where the plane ride fits in is dramatically different. And you find yourself preparing in a different way. You might have expected to just be exploring in the tour of a cabin of an airplane, but now you realize that it's going to be a lot more than that. And so also, if we have a true belief in eternity, it should change the way we lead our lives. If we really believe that this life is about planting and going somewhere, we would prepare very differently for the place that we're going. Wealth on earth is going to matter in heaven as much as Iceland. It's not going to matter. Christ has given us the report that this life goes on and on. And so we should be planting for eternity. To spend mortal life investing for the immortal cause. The hope and greatness that you desire, the things that drive even the most vain human fantasies are like deep down, but they really are, are these little flicker of beacon calling us eternity is real. There's a whole lot more than you need than what this life can give you. There's something more, a belonging you need to be, a, a way that your name is known. We want, to make our, we want to sometimes make our name so known and famous. And I wonder if it's this desire that I just want, I want my name to be known and famous to the one that is eternal to God. And one of the greatest things we have is to be known by God, to have our name recorded by God and to belong to him for all of eternity and the only existence that can fulfill that deep hunger for belonging that you feel. Yet, tragically, there are those who, uh, who mistake this call to a life of opulence. And there's a warning about such opulence next. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, the whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, we got to understand a little bit of how they understood vision because Jesus is speaking to their belief system. He knows the way they think about it. There, we know today that what vision is is light entering into the eye, and so light goes into your eye, and then your brain interprets what it's seeing. Uh, but they believe that there was energy inside the eye that shot rays out that sensed the world around. And so you hear this, even biblical terms of people going blind, they would say they were dim-eyed. He was old and dim in his eyes. It was like this idea of a lighthouse and the, the light's just burning out in the eyes and they can't see anymore. The warning he's giving them is that indiscriminate carnal desire blinds you. Never try to convince a rich man that his wealth is shallow because he's been blinded the more it's been growing. There's this interesting thing, and I'm going to gross you all out this morning. Check out this wart. It's a cartoon. You're welcome. Not a real wart, but I heard this from my doctor when he froze my warts off when I was in high school. I had a planner wart on my foot, and he said, it's interesting, and this picture shows it well. A wart is this unique type of virus that grows in your skin, and your immune system is extremely powerful and could wipe that out if it could find it. And you can see what happens. The reason why warts hurt is it's trying to find it. 
it feels something weird and it has an inflammatory response and all these blood and nerves are trying to look for where's the criminal? And it's looking for the wart, but the wart is clever. You see that little pink barrier? It looks like a sheet between there. That's calluses. A wart kills and deadens the skin right in front of it, so it gets just enough blood flow to stay alive, but not enough to mount an immune system response. Your body can't find where the wart is. This is why one of the wart remedies is to actually wrap a wart in duct tape, because duct tape will keep callus from growing effectively, and as soon as your body finds it, it is done for. It finds that wart and it kills it immediately. And so warts only are there because it can deaden and desensitize as it grows. And this is how materialism works, that as it grows, it deadens and desensitizes until a person says, no, no, it really is making me happy. Because the, the, the sensitivity to actual belonging and place is missing. Our culture is, is hard at work telling us to plant with ever-increasing wealth and that we are shunned to define what enough is. You should never say enough. It should always be more. You should always want to have more clients, more business, more employees, get bigger, 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 bigger. Always, always um, more profits at the end of the month. If you wonder why is it that new things are built cheaper than the old things, it's because that was a clever way they found to tell all of their investors, we got even more profits this year because we put slightly less steel in the car and now it's lighter. Enough is a very important thing to have, though. It's, it's critical to define very literally, I mean literally for you, what would enough look like? What would enough look like for us? This is the great defense against the wart growing in the spirit. What would it be like to have enough? We make, sometimes people make fun of uh, those redneck adages of, all I need is a roof over my head, food in the pantry, and truck in the driveway. But that's a noble goal. Like, that guy did it. He has this idea. Like, if I, if, if I have those things, and then one day I get an inheritance of $50,000, I've got enough. So I guess I'll just find ways to bless other people. I would hope that's what he would do with it. I think the best of people with a truck in the driveway. But enough is critical. And enough looks different for different people. I would say that owning a beach house sounds awfully opulent. You know, people get criticized, like, oh... You know, you spend all this money on these, on these things. But my grandparents owned a beach house. And do you know why they built it? They built it because they wanted it to be a place to gift that space and time to family and friends. And they still, to this day, are so generous with it. My grandpa's semi-retired. He could go there whenever he wants. And yet he makes space for us and friends and family to go there. And it has been a place of spiritual retreat for so many of us. Uh, people, I was talking to some friends of mine recently, and they said, oh, we used to love going to the beach, but it's like $1,200 or more a weekend just to go to the hotel. And I was like, I can't believe what a gift that having a beach house in the family really is. When you can go there for essentially the price you'd spend at home, just buy groceries, cook them there. I mean, it's an amazing thing to give to people. But I wouldn't say that God's calling all of us to define enough as owning a beach house on the Oregon coast. There's this uh, amazing uh, experiment that was done where they took, they, they filmed a homeless man that was panhandling. He's out there and he's asking people to give stuff. And they filmed several people say no to him. And, he, and most people say no. And then someone walked up to him that was part of the group that was doing the experiment and they gave him a whole pizza. 
like, hey, we got you this pizza. And he's like, oh, thank you, brother. I love it. That's great. So he opens up, he starts eating, and another person comes by as part of the experiment, and they go, hey, can I have some? And the homeless guy says, sure. And he shared pizza with this guy that was clearly not homeless. He was dressed very wealthy, and they sat there eating pizza together. And they did this experiment several times, and they found that homeless people were more likely to share what they have than the people walking by them. And it's this amazing thing that, that I think shows a very critical thing, that uh, generosity knows no budget. Generosity isn't about uh, is a thing that only people that are millionaires can do. Generosity is a willingness to look at everything in your life as an opportunity to share, whatever it is. It's more than writing a check. In that experiment, it was a slice of pizza in your, in your pizza box. There's so many things that are the resources to us in life. The time that we have, uh, the, the, the encouragement we can give, the, the affection we can give, the, the mentoring we can give, knowledge and wisdom, all things to give. And to give it with that, with that generosity. That defining enough is so critical to say, when I've had enough, I can give more. When we don't believe in enough, we never believe we have anything to give to anybody. The point of this comes to verse 24. Jesus ends that small portion by saying, no one can serve two masters, either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. isn't to say that money is evil. In fact, it's a thing, resources, if we were to tra- translate the money word money to resource, especially because I think last I heard our money doesn't represent anything. It's just like, here's your currency. What does it represent? Ha, like, a share in the economy. What does that mean? I don't know. Like, it just doesn't represent anything. So we have, we have let's just say resources. It's not about that you have to just get rid of every resource in your life. You're always going to need them. You're going to need to feed yourself and your family. You're going to need to have some place to live. You always will. And you're going to need God, always. The question of this teaching comes down to who serves who. Is it that our faith serves our desire to gain and have resources, or do our resources live to serve our faith? Obviously, the the most prolific example of this was the abuse we saw through um, the... Uh, what's, what was that movement called? I wrote it down here. Prosperity gospel. This idea that, um, that the, the, we basically followed God to get these celestial gifts given us to always, that we would just, if you pray and you do the right things, God will just give you all this wealth and you'll be super rich. And it was this bizarre belief system. But there are still a point in all of us, whether we are prosperity uh, gospel or not, that we find that Sometimes we follow God for what we want and not for the sake of simply following God. That's the thing that we always are going to be adjusting. I don't know if there comes a point when we really get it to where we just say, I'm totally free of that burden altogether. There was a time that Peter followed Jesus because he thought that he was going to start a new kingdom and he wanted a high rank in the new kingdom. And he had a heart change to where he followed Christ simply to follow him because of his love for him. The fact is we can't serve this desire of resources and serve God. One has to be served first and everything else serves God. To love God, to go after him with all we have and every penny we get, every bit of gifts that we have that we can sow and pour into anybody all serves the point of God. 
We have these gifts. We have money. We have, we have affection. We have time, encouragement, knowledge, and more. Instead of holding on to these seeds so tightly in this life, afraid we're going to lose them or not have them when they're gone, we're supposed to sow richly. And this brings us to, and I know this is a lot to read, but I'm going to do it anyway. This brings us to this. This is part of the same teaching, interconnected. We often don't think of it. Therefore, he says, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink about your body or what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any of you by worrying add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of those. If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Much could be said about that incredibly rich ending to this discussion of living for things that are far more than this world. But for today's study, we'll just simply say this. This is the promise. This is the life of promise that we have when we live a life like this. That it comes down honestly to largely serendipity. We hold these gifts, as I said, the gifts of affection, time. We hold them so tightly, wondering, what if, I, what if I give away that money? What if I give away that time? What if I invest too much? Will I run empty? But this is a time of sowing seeds. If you want to have a big harvest, you've got to sow a lot of seeds. We're meant to sow richly and ongoing, trusting that if the bag of seeds runs out, God will refill it. Planting and scattering trusting that God will replenish. To accept God's way of being truly surprising. When God cares for us, it's not a way we can count on. I could look at the calendar ahead, tell you exactly when my paychecks will go through direct deposit into my account. I know exactly when the bills are due, but God blesses in a way that I can't point to a day on the calendar and say, this is when it happens. Birds can't point to a day on the calendar and say, this is when we will find our food. Flowers can't point to a day on the calendar and say, this is the day we bloom. God cares for us in his timing, in his place, and we're supposed to just simply have trust and to sow and to give away and to invest in this life, not expecting it to be satisfying in itself, but expecting that the life ahead will be truly satisfying. And I think what is amazing about that is when we let the plane ride of this life be the plane ride and not the destination, we accept it a lot better. When we say, yeah, it was just, this year was difficult, but I'm not going to let it bring me down because I wasn't counting on it being wonderful. That things can be challenging, and it doesn't mean I screwed up. The people that really get to enjoy their lives are the ones that understand the limitations of it and where it, what it is and what it will really do for us. So make this life about what's to come, what passes into eternity, winning souls to Christ, building up the broken, nourishing people, and revealing to them their value. These are the things, the treasures that pass into eternity. 
And when a soul does these things, when it no longer is deranged and hunting for something that's out of order, but seeks first this kingdom of God, wants to be part of this, trust God in this rhythm of giving and being fed themselves, that's a soul that's quieted. That's a soul that's at peace. That's one that can be said, do not worry about tomorrow. It'll worry about itself. This is the invitation of trust we have with Christ. And I want to pray for us this morning that we could be changed, that we could find ourselves looking at our expectations of life, our resources, and how we sow entirely different. We live for this truth. We have peace in our soul. I want to pray for us. Lord, I pray that all the things that, that are ahead of us and the, the hard uh, financial places so many of us find ourselves in, that we, that we can sit and say that we're not satisfied yet, we're not full yet. Lord, would you help us to see the incredible wealth we have to give? That even at this state, even at this lowly state, we have things to give, ways to sow, ways to live in trust. God, I pray that as we get our, our desires realigned with you, we would quit mistaking the dugongs of life for being a beautiful woman. We would quit mistaking financial resources for being the kind of peace that comes from the kingdom of God. We would quit mistaking earthly treasure for heavenly treasure. Lord, if materialism has already made our hearts feeling hard, that we, that we buck against this teaching, because as we hear you speak, Lord, we think, but this might mean I don't buy the thing I wanted, or I can't do the things I wanted to do. Lord, I pray that you would be able to break down the calluses, that you would help us find what is off within us, that the light would be restored to our eyes, and that the light would shine from the inside out, that we could see this life and interpret it correctly. Move in our hearts, move in our spirits, move in our minds, that we could be saints realigned with our Father in heaven. We live for a life beyond this. And because of that, it brings this life to life. Help our souls be quieted and still our desires for the things we want in Jesus' name.